0: Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from tolovehonorandvacuum.com, where we like to talk about how to make marriage a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. And it is now October, and so we are starting a brand new series on the blog all about how to reach orgasm. Yay! So it's like the big O month. Today I am doing this podcast just audio and a lot of the podcasts this month will probably be just audio because we are working at putting together our orgasm course. It's going to be the most comprehensive, amazing course I've ever created. So many videos, so many practical lessons and no, not that kind of video. Okay, don't worry about that. But (laughs) so many practical lessons and we've just been doing so much research to make sure this is the course that will help women. And so because of that, Katie, my daughter who does all the video editing is really busy editing the video for the course. So we're going to make a lot of the podcast audio because it's just a little bit less work for her this month. So just letting you know where we're coming from. But I want to start this month by asking a question. Do you feel like you're broken? If you have never reached orgasm, or if orgasm is quite rare for you, or if you just don't feel like you have much of a libido, do you feel like you're broken? Because a lot of women do. And that's one of the main reasons I think that orgasm and libido and all of those things that go into sex are so elusive for so many of us because we feel at heart like there is something wrong with us. On Monday, I wrote a post about this and I will put a link in the podcast description, kind of like your raw, raw post, you're not broken. But I want to go over some of these points, because I think they're really important for us to understand how God made sex, why he made sex the way it is and how you're not broken, even if orgasm is difficult for you. It could be that you are working exactly the way you're supposed to. And then I'm going to point you to ways that orgasm can become, hey, a lot easier, which is what we all want. So before we jump into this, I want to put some numbers to this. In our recent survey we took of 20,000 women, that's forming the basis for our book, The Great Sex Rescue, which is coming out in March. What we found was that roughly 48% of women usually or always reach orgasm during a sexual encounter with their husband. So not necessarily through intercourse, but through intercourse or through other things or whatever, when they do sexual stuff, whatever it might be, she has a lot of confidence that she is going to reach orgasm. But then there's the rest of the women, the 52% who don't always reach orgasm. And for many, for about 24%, orgasm is very, very rare, (laughs) if not, never happens at all. But for guys, yeah, it's about like 95%, right? I mean, when when you have sex, chances are that sexual encounter ends with his orgasm. He's pretty much guaranteed it. So it's like for women, orgasm just isn't that automatic. And for men, it is. And that can leave a lot of women feeling, man, God just has it out for us. Like God just does not like women as much as he likes men. Because why is it so easy for him? Why does he always have a great time? And I am just left wondering, seriously, like that's all there is like seriously. And this can be so frustrating for so many of us. And I totally get it. I completely get it. I know I write about sex all the time. And one of the problems with writing about sex and talking about sex and doing all these blog posts and podcasts about sex is that people get the idea she must do it really well, you know, (laughs) like if she's talking about this stuff all the time, she must be really good at it. (laughs) And what I always tell people when I speak is that sex was really the most difficult part of our marriage when we first got married. I suffered from vaginismus, which means that the vaginal muscles contract and make it very difficult for penetration to happen at all, or else if it does happen, it's really painful because you tense right up. It's involuntary. You're not deliberately causing it. It it really isn't anyone's fault, but it causes a lot of pain. And Christian women tend to suffer from vaginismus at twice the rate of the general population. So there's something going on with us and the messages that we're getting about sex, which cause vaginismus. So here I am, I'm getting married he has a really high libido, I have vaginismus, and it was just a big hot mess. And it took us a couple of years to figure everything out. And what I find is that people tend to write and speak in the areas of their lives that have been the most difficult, because otherwise you'd have nothing to say. If it was always easy, then what do you have to tell people? (laughs) So when I write about this stuff, I understand where people are coming from. I understand the anger that why is sex so easy for him and so difficult for me? Why would God make something this difficult for me and then tell me that this is the only way he can feel loved? Why does he feel loved from something that causes me pain or from something that makes me uncomfortable or from something that triggers flashbacks of abuse or whatever it might be in your case? Why do I have to suffer for him to feel loved? And that's what a lot of us are going through. And that's a terrible, terrible burden that many of us are carrying. And I just wanna tell you, I get it. I hear you. I understand where you're coming from. And I want this month to point us to something else, to point us to how we can get over that, to point us to the place where we can embrace our sexuality and we can experience all that God wants for us because God does want a lot for us. I've said this before. I'll say it again. He created women with a body part where the only purpose is pleasure you know, the penis has multiple purposes, the clitoris only has one. And women are capable of multiple orgasms. Men have a refractory period after orgasm, where they can't get hard again, or if they do, it's extremely uncomfortable. (laughs) They can't orgasm again for quite a period of time. And so women can keep going. Like God made women where our sexuality actually has tremendous potential to be even greater than men's. But our sexuality is also quite fragile and it isn't automatic in the same way. So why would that be so? Well, let's think about what orgasm really means. Orgasm is the ultimate in letting go. God created orgasms so that at the height of passion, we would be feeling and experiencing more than just thinking. We don't have to stay in control. We don't have it all together. And in fact, if you're actually trying to stay in control, like if you're trying to have an orgasm, if you're trying to make sure you're doing everything right, you know, if you're judging what's going on instead of just experiencing it, orgasm's going to be really elusive. You cannot be a control freak and also have fun in the bedroom. And that's difficult because a lot of us are real control freaks. You know, you have to be able to surrender to the moment. You have to be able to let that feeling carry you along. It's really the ultimate in trust and vulnerability because we can't let ourselves be carried along by pleasure unless we can let down all pretenses, all guards, all fences, all masks that we've built. We have to be able to let everything down to completely be ourselves and to be able to tell him what we want. We have to be able to be really vulnerable to do that and that's really difficult to do. And so that's why, orgasm is about celebrating a safe, vulnerable relationship. That's why sex is an act that leads to us truly being known. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word to know is used to describe the sex act. You know, Adam knew his wife Eve, we read this again and again. And that Hebrew word to know is the same word that David uses in the Psalms when he says, search me and know me, oh God, know my inmost heart, know everything about me. It's this deep longing to be connected. Sex is supposed to be intimate. It's not only physical. It's supposed to be emotionally and spiritually intimate as well. And it can't be that unless we are able to be truly ourselves. You can't know someone through the sex act. If you're not really burying yourself, if, it, if it's only physical, you don't really know each other, you have to be able to be vulnerable. And here's the key thing, okay? And here's what, here's what we need to understand. If women's sexual response were automatic in the same way that men's tends to be, then sex would no longer be about relationship or intimacy, Okay, think about that for a moment, because it really does matter. If both men and women could reach orgasm automatically with ease, with little effort, then orgasm would no longer be a deep knowing. It wouldn't be about having to be vulnerable, about having to feel safe, about having to communicate about what feels good and what doesn't. It would simply be about two bodies joining, and then intimacy would be taken out of the equation. But because sex is so vulnerable and so intimate, then our sexual response can be very fragile. And that which is closest to our identity and our emotions and our sense of self and who we are, is also the most vulnerable to being broken, or to being warped, or or just simply to being wounded. And a lot of us have sexualities that are really wounded. It can be from things like sexual shame. And I think this is a huge one for Christian women. When we grow up hearing all of these negative things about sex, how you're not supposed to think about it, you're not supposed to do it. You know, I've read so many Christian books that talk about how if she has sex before marriage, she has given up her most precious treasure. As if the thing that she has that is worth the most, the thing that that is the most precious to her identity is not having sex. Okay, if you honestly believe that, if you believe that the thing that is the most precious, thing that you must never, ever, ever give up, is your virginity, then how are you supposed to be excited about sex and marriage? And I find it really difficult that in so many of these books that came out during the purity culture era, when they describe sexual sin before marriage, and how this couple fell into sexual sin, and now she has given up her most precious treasure. He had sex too. No one talks about him giving up his most precious treasure. So I have a real issue with that. And as I've said so many times before, purity is not equal to virginity. I know many virgins who are not pure. Okay, they're totally addicted to pornography, they totally lust like crazy, they use other people, they objectify other people, that's not pure. And I know lots of people who aren't virgins who are pure. Some of us are married, and we're very pure. And some people aren't married yet, but they're still pure because our purity is not based on what we do with our bodies, our purity is based on what Jesus did with his and church, we got to get this one right. Okay, we need to stop equating virginity with purity. I think there are very good reasons that God wants us to wait for marriage for sex. And I think that 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 is God's best for us. But your life is not over if you didn't. And sex is not something which makes you impure or which distorts you or which is somehow dirty. And yet many of us grew up with that message. And so we have a lot of sexual shame. And how can you embrace your sexuality? How can you embrace yourself as a sexual being if you're taught that sex is somehow wrong? And if you spend your entire life trying to silence your sexuality, it's very difficult to now try to make your sexuality loud once you're married. Then there's, of course, body image issues. (laughs) If you feel awkward or embarrassed about your body, then it's difficult to let go and allow yourself to enjoy your body. And a lot of us have body image issues, even those of us who look great. I had a heartbreaking comment on the blog come in this week. It was on an older post about what to do when your spouse won't get healthy. And I was envisioning a situation where a spouse is carrying an extra 100 pounds, you know, or, or a lot of extra weight and is morbidly obese or obese and, and isn't dealing with that. And how do you deal with that? And she was saying that she actually weighs less now than she did before they were married. She has three kids, but she knows that she could still lose 10 to 15 pounds. And her husband keeps telling her she needs to tone up and she needs to do more weights, but she's just so tired with these three children. And she just feels so badly about this for her husband's sake. And I'm thinking, hon, your husband has issues. Okay. (laughs) If your, if your spouse can't embrace you unless you have a perfect body, your spouse has issues. And often those issues stem from porn or at least our pornographic culture. And if your spouse is contributing to your body image issues, that's awful. And that's probably the topic for a whole other podcast. I just wanted to throw that in here. You know, We often bemoan people with body image issues and we tell people you should just embrace your body. And I do believe that, but let's be real that sometimes the reason we have body image issues is our spouse. And we do need to deal with that too. There's relationship issues. If you're feeling distant from your husband, if you feel like you can't trust him, if you feel like you don't really know his heart, how are you supposed to have sex with him? Or or how are you supposed to let go during sex? Identity issues. If you feel that your role as a woman, as a wife, is to have sex with your husband and that that is the main way that you you feel like you're a good person, then sex becomes a duty. And when sex is a duty, that obligation sex message greatly reduces women's ability to orgasm. When we see sex as something which we do for him, (laughs) rather than sex as a gift for you, it's going to be really difficult to orgasm. And then there's, of course, trauma issues. If sex has been distorted because of past trauma, it's hard to relax and allow your body to see it as a positive thing. And there's so many more. I'm only scratching the surface here, okay? And it's easy to to look at that list and say, yeah, I have some of those issues. So obviously I am broken. But I want to put a little bit of a different spin on this, okay? Having those issues doesn't mean that you're broken. Having those issues... Please listen to me here. Having those issues means that your brain and your body have been guarding yourself for very good reasons. Your brain and your body have been acting exactly right based on what they've been taught to believe or what they've been taught is safe. Okay? So if your brain and body have been taught that your body is dangerous and it can cause men to lust, which is a message that many of us grow up with, how are you supposed to embrace your body once you're married? Okay if you've been taught if you don't have sex with your husband he's going to lust or he's going to watch porn how are you supposed to embrace your sexuality because basically you're having sex under threat <laughs> you know that's not sexy your brain knows that sex is supposed to be a deep knowing your brain knows that sex is supposed to be the ultimate way in which you are connected to your husband and If that ultimate way, if sex that is supposed to be a deep knowing is now reduced to you need to have sex or he's going to watch porn or you need to have sex every three days or he's going to explode or not feel loved or not be able to pay attention to you or the kids or he's going to be grumpy. If you hear all of these messages, then what your brain hears is this ultimate knowing isn't really about you. Your husband doesn't really want to know you sex, which is supposed to be this deep, intimate thing, is actually something which is threatening to you. Because if something which is supposed to be this deep, intimate thing, a deep knowing becomes instead, something where he is using your body, then it's no longer a deep knowing, it becomes a rejection. And your brain is trying to protect you from a rejection. That's often why women's bodies aren't responding. Now, please hear me. I am not saying that your husband is necessarily giving you these messages. In our focus groups that we did for our upcoming book, The Great Sex Rescue, we found so many women who believe that obligation sex message. I need to have sex with him every 72 hours or he'll explode or he'll lust. My body is dangerous. Like they grew up with all these messages, but it wasn't their husband who gave them these messages. It was Christian books. It was our Christian culture. It was what they heard as teenagers. (laughs) But your brain and your body, they took these messages, they internalized these messages, and it made your brain and body want to reject sex. It made your brain and body want to think, I am not a sexual being because sex is now threatening to me. Sex isn't about me being deeply known and deeply knowing someone else. Sex is only about someone using my body. And you know what? Your brain and your body don't want to be used. Your brain and your body are saying, no, that's something that I need to run away from. And so your brain and your body are doing exactly what they are supposed to do to protect you. Your brain and your body are not broken. They're actually acting exactly right. It's not that your brain and body don't work. They do. It's just that often the messages that we've been taught about sex and the dynamics of our relationship make it so that our sexual response is elusive. And so the solution is to change what? we believe and to change the relationship dynamics. That's what this is all about. It's about learning how to embrace your sexuality. But the only way we can do that is by telling our brain and our body and teaching our brain and our body that sex isn't about you being used, okay? Sex isn't about someone else getting their jollies off of you. Sex is about this deep knowing. Sex is about you feeling pleasure. Sex is about you experiencing something amazing. It might take a while for your brain and body to understand that and for you to embrace that message. But just understand that you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your clitoris that means that you can't reach orgasm. There's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just that often the route to orgasm isn't necessarily learning greater sexual technique. It's learning how to truly embrace your sexuality. This is so much of what our orgasm course is gonna cover. We're going to look at the things that are holding us back from embracing our sexuality. Then we're going to look at the things which can help us embrace sexuality. And then we're going to look at sexual technique and how to get you there. So those are the three main things. And then we're going to throw in a module at the end on how to reach orgasm during intercourse for those who want to aim for that as well. But please hear me that you are not broken. I was sketching out the men's version of the orgasm course yesterday, and I want to share with you something that I shared with the guys, because I think that this might help us understand what's going on. For the course, we do have a men's add-on, an optional men's add-on. So if the guys are willing to take the course as well, it teaches them about how women's sexuality works and how to help her reach orgasm. But I wanted to help guys understand What happens when a woman has been married for a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and she really doesn't reach orgasm very often or she never does? We had a guy write into the blog a while ago saying that to him, he feels the most intimate when they're having sex. You know, sex is when he feels just the closest to his wife and she doesn't reach orgasm very often, but he doesn't understand why she can't just be happy giving him a hand job because this just makes him feel so intimate. And why can't she be happy about that? And so this is what I wanted to share with the guys. Imagine that you and your wife are going out to a restaurant and you do this every week. Because you're told that what what your wife really needs in order to feel loved and in order to feel cherished in your marriage is to have a date night out every week where you're going to go to a restaurant and you're going to enjoy an amazing meal, an amazing conversation. And so you go to this restaurant and you order your appetizer and your main course and your dessert and your drinks. And you start having an amazing conversation and your wife, her appetizer arrives, but nothing arrives for you. And she eats and she talks about how amazing it is. This French onion soup is exactly what she wanted. The <laughs> And then her steak arrives and she puts the sour cream and the butter on the baked potato and she puts salt on it. The steak has this amazing peppercorn sauce and there's asparagus on top of it and she's eating it and she's talking about how amazing it tastes. And then you're also talking about planning for the future and you're talking about what's going to happen when the kids are teenagers and you finally find yourself with some time and they start sleeping in and you don't have to get up early in the mornings and you're having this amazing conversation with your wife planning for the future. And then her dessert arrives and it's molten lavocate and she loves molten lava cake. And just as she eats her first bite, your chicken wings, your appetizer arrives. And so you start eating those chicken wings, but now she's finished the molten lava cake. And she gets up and she says, okay, time to go. You look back at your chicken wings forlornly and you leave the restaurant. And she talks about what an amazing time she had and how that was just so good and how she just loves going out with you. And imagine doing this every week for years. How would you feel about going out to restaurants with your wife? You know that she feels close to you and you're happy that she feels close to you. And yeah, you had a great conversation, but it feels really one-sided. And I think what's happened for so many women is that they have endured this for years and they want to be excited (laughs) about sex. They want to embrace their sexuality, but it's really difficult to do when it's so one-sided. And when they keep hearing about how, but can't you be happy about how happy your husband is? Well, yeah, sure. But at some point, isn't it supposed to be about for me too? And I think it is. I think that God created us so that sex is supposed to be totally mutual and pleasurable and intimate all at the same time. That's what I want to uncover this month. And so I'm going to bring Rebecca onto the podcast right now. She's been doing a ton of research on what goes into a woman's orgasm. And we just have some funny things to share with you. And then at the end of the podcast, Connor's going to come in on too and share some deep thoughts that he's had about orgasm. All right, so Becca has joined me. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. (laughs) And now you have spent the last two weeks in internet purgatory Purgatory?
1: (laughs) limbo it's like what did I yeah I
0: don't I
1: don't actually know if anyone has a better understanding of those kinds of theologies um, about you know the middle ground of the afterlife
0: uh, (laughs) but you've been doing all this research because as we're creating the orgasm course we wanted to make sure as you put it, that it's not a course on how the Gregor women Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wanted
1: this to not... Here's, that's the problem that we had with books like The Act of Marriage, Sheet Music, is it was very clearly just like, hey, here's our experience. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that when we're doing this course and, and any books that we write or anything where we're giving tips, mm-hmm. it's not from us. Yeah, like these are not like I'm even including a lot of stuff where I'm like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't ever try that. Um, But you know what the experts say to try it. Yeah, if you're struggling with it, this is all research backed. Okay. every single thing that I'm saying (laughs) is linked back to an actual academic article or um, an actual sex therapist or licensed counselor who works with sexual dysfunction issues or gynecologists. Or pelvic, like, this is actual research-based, because yes. it's just so icky to hear someone just talk about, when
0: I like to stimulate my wife's clitoris in this
2: way, it's like, no, 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 this
1: is not what this course is. No,
0: and also, you didn't want to write a lot of tips and then have me read it. Oh, heck me like, no.
1: <laughs> no, not in a million years. And honestly, I will say that working with family in this kind of area, I think does help you kind of have a good idea of what's appropriate and what's not, because literally whatever I write, my mom will read. Yes. (laughs)
0: You know, and
1: vice versa. And so it helps you kind of figure out what kinds of boundaries should maybe be in place when you're writing
0: things. (laughs) Right. So you're doing, so you were looking at all of these surveys, all these studies on what helps women reach orgasm. And you actually found some interesting things that we hadn't thought of, like that were super important.
1: Yeah, I did. And I found a lot of stuff that I've included in the course, a lot of technique stuff, which Mm -hmm. again, this is kind of, if you struggle with orgasm, this is what sex therapists tend to recommend from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. There's a, lot of different ways to kind of tackle it from, (laughs) I want to say tackle it from different angles, um, which is both (laughs) literal and figurative, but like (laughs) there's a lot of different tips depending on why certain simulation doesn't feel good for you. There's that kind of stuff in there Mm -hmm. as well, which is cool because you know, someone who has... You know, maybe it, there's some people who find stimulation difficult because they are too sensitive versus mm-hmm. others who find that they're not sensitive enough versus, you know, mm-hmm. just differences with your husband's anatomy. Like, how is he big guy or is he a small guy? Like, right. there's, there's stuff like that. And so we have a lot of that included in the really practical parts that I've been researching. But one yeah. of the things that I read a lot of, because I was just curious to see what does the secular world actually think? say about mm-hmm. sex, mm-hmm. so I'm reading all these, like, men's health articles or, like, Guardian articles and Huffington Post articles mm-hmm. and the kind of place where your non-church dudes are going to figure out why don't my one-night stands ever call me back. Right. Right? Right. Because mm-hmm. I was just curious, because we work in this world, and I wanted to see what they all said. hmm And I will tell you. Yeah. Secular dudes writing about hookup culture and how to help a woman orgasm... Uh-huh. Are really proud of being good in bed, yeah. And the difference in how they talk about sex uh-huh. versus how married Christian authors mm-hmm. talk about sex uh-huh. is astounding. Yeah, like it's all like, dude, women can orgasm. So if your woman's not orgasming, you better look at yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what they all are, and it's it's actually hilarious. And they do say things like, you know, for a lot of women, their psychological factors. But they don't say it so it's not your fault. What they say is so make sure she feels safe. Right. And make sure that like you're connecting with her, which I do think is kind of an oxymoron when it's that's like not going to work in the- with the chick you met at the bar. Like right, yeah. no, but like I, I I think the the big thing that I was just floored by was how much more these men cared about how the women felt. About mm-hmm. having sex with them mm-hmm. than Christian
0: books about married couples do. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much that is actually the hookup culture because if you're not good in bed, you might not get a second date.
1: Now, and I do think, obviously, there's a lot of guys in hookup culture who are literally just trying to get the first date.
0: Right. Okay. And they mm-hmm. don't care at all.
1: Right. You mm-hmm. know, and so these articles are more written for men who are kind of like, why don't I have any success with women? Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a self selected group among the non Christians who actually want to be good in bed. But I do think that there's more of an incentive for men to be good in bed if they're not Christians, because Christian men are expected to not have sex until the woman is married, and having bad sex is not a viable reason for divorce. In many Christian churches.
0: Right. So we just need to change the expectation in Christian churches. And this is one of the big things that that I'm quite passionate about and that I want to... I think I'm writing an article on this later in our orgasm series this month is how the church needs to talk about women's orgasm. We never even talk about the the fact that female orgasm exists.
1: Yeah. And also we say don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex as he'll want it so much. And so once you start having sex, you're not going to be able to stop. But we don't talk about how like don't have sex and also like... For her, too, like she might want it too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not don't have sex, and so you make sure, like, you girl, make sure that he doesn't take it from you. It's more, you know what, guys, don't awaken love before it's appointed time. Right. And I think if we talked about having sex as that awakening love mentality, I think mm-hmm. that would make more sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because we see sex as this taking your virginity thing versus it happened and now it's done. Mm-hmm. Versus, I think actually biblically, the idea of your first time having sex is more this is the start. Right. You know, and we, we talk about it like it's the end. And mm. I think that's one of the big issues is it's not about losing your virginity. It's about awakening love too early.
0: Yes, right. that's really true. So now you did find some other things that were yes. highly correlated with orgasm, which I thought were kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I did. So there were a couple things that I was surprised about. So one, there was a study of like over 58,000 people total, I believe it was somewhere in the high fifties. Mm-hmm. But among that, there was 24,000 heterosexual women. Okay. Okay. And what they were doing is they were looking for the determinants of orgasm uh-huh. among all these different groups. Mm-hmm. And for heterosexual women, they found well for women in general, but yeah, for especially for heterosexual women, they found that one of the big things that led to orgasm was kissing during sex. <laughs> yeah, the dog just coughed. Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, they found that one of the big things that made heterosexual women orgasm more is if they were kissed during sex, right? And if their sexual experience enjoyed a lot of passionate kissing, mm-hmm. which I mean is one thing where it's like, is it that men who are cherishing their partner and really caring for her needs and thinking about her are just going to kiss her more? Mm -hmm. Or is that kissing itself turns her on? I'm not sure if we can tell either way or if it even matters. Right. (laughs) But the point is, Looking at sex as something more than just physical and making the romantic side
0: of it part of it Mm -hmm. really, really helped. Mm -hmm. And then there was another one that I thought was kind of funny, but we found in our focus groups as well. Yes, we did. Yeah. And that one was
1: the ability to communicate about your preferences about sex, including what you prefer not to happen. Right. (laughs) While you're having sex. Yeah. And just in general, are you able to give critiques? Mm Mm-hmm. And are you able to have those critiques actually change things? Right. And that's what one of the conclusions of this study was, was they wanted to do more studying into figuring out why women don't speak up mm-hmm. when things are bad, because that's one of the big determinants of orgasm, is the ability to speak and be like, I don't like that, can you change it this way? Or okay, that's enough of that. Like, let's try this instead. Or just Mm -hmm. giving kind of these guides for the dude Mm -hmm. to figure out, okay, this is actually what I like and this is what makes it feel good for me. And if she isn't able to do that or chooses not to do that, she's less likely to orgasm. So why is it that so many women decide to prioritize his orgasm over hers Mm -hmm. by not speaking up? That's one of the things I want to research more.
0: Well, of course, and in the Christian books that we read, women were told over and over again, you need to tell him he's a good lover. He needs to feel like he's a good lover. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the huge parts of respect That was one of the huge parts of how to love your husband. And so if as a woman you're told you need to always tell your husband he's doing great in bed, how are we supposed to tell him he's not? Yeah, well, and I think that's the big thing is we need to
1: both tell men and women that first of all, women can enjoy sex. Women should enjoy sex and women should be a part of the sexual equation. Mm -hmm. But then also we need to say, and you know what? Like... Sex is not your identity as a man. Yeah. Whether or not you are good in bed from day one does not mean you're a better or worse man. Right. Right? It's about what do you do with it. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, if you get married and you are, like, a solid... B plus of a lover day one. Just, you just, you're just lucky, right? You're like, yeah, she's like okay with sex. Like Mm -hmm. it's fine. Right. You know, like we're not getting into med school with these grades, but like (laughs) it's pretty good. Yeah. You know, but then you never do anything to improve that. Yeah. Are you a better man than the guy who starts out not having a clue what to do? Right. And now a couple years into marriage is now at the same level that you're at. Yeah. Who's actually the better husband? Right. Right? It's not about where you start. It's about where you're going. And it's about, are you considerate? Are you trying? And are you allowing your ego to be second place to your wife's
0: value mm-hmm. in the marriage? Mm-hmm. So important. Now, after you've done all this research, you told me today something funny has been happening to you.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> I will say targeted ads are a blessing and a
0: curse. <laughs>
1: I get considerably fewer hot singles in your area ads because of my search history, but I'm getting a lot of do you need a divorce counselor? <laughs> and your marriage doesn't need to be over. Because I'm, I'm researching things like, my husband cannot bring me to orgasm. Let's see what comes out. And like, sex has always been a disappointment. Right. And why do I keep feeling like angry about sex and right. all these kinds of things. And so I'm getting all these ads about divorce counselors near you and support group for women with terrible husbands. Yeah. And like, why you married a pig? Like,
2: <laughs> You know,
1: like a free ebook for women married to swine. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's hilarious. So I keep on getting all these ads and I'm just like, oh, dear.
0: Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yeah, I get I get some of those pretty great ones, too. And you know what? Maybe one day we will rank really high for are you disappointed in bed? That's my aim. That's our aim. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit more positive than the ads that we're getting. A little bit less every all hope is lost and a little bit
1: more. Hey, there's still hope. Yes. Hello again, it's Rebecca here, and this time I'm with Connor, and we just wanted to say something, just a really short little discussion this time. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about all of these issues about orgasm and whether or not she experiences pleasure during sex, a lot of times we do end up with very one-sided sex where, like, you know, one spouse is having a lot of fun and the other spouse just isn't and is kind of left in the dust. And we were talking about this a while ago in a different context. When I was writing The Great Sex Rescue with my mom and with Joanna, you, Connor, and I were talking about this on a walk. About how maybe a lot of these problems would almost just be fixed before they even start if we just start seeing sexual needs differently in marriage.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, because what, what I was saying, is I was just musing to her as we were walking. And I was saying, the thing is... People don't have... We keep talking about men's sexual needs and women's sexual needs and how the conversation is often being about how you need to meet your husband's sexual needs, otherwise he's going to strangers. People don't actually have a sexual need.
1: Yeah, we have Uh, sex drives. We
2: have sex drives. We have a need for food, oxygen, water. These are things that we need and things that we can't survive without, but sex... I mean, we're expected to go for a good portion of the beginning of our lives without it, and then suddenly we get married and it's a need? No, I don't think it's a need for individual people. However, I think that it's a need for the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think if we start seeing it in terms of what are the relationship's needs, which can differ from relationship to relationship, But if we see it in that light, I think that really changes the conversation.
1: Yeah, because we don't want to negate. Like, we're not saying that, like, oh, well, you then never feel sexual needs or you never feel Mm -hmm. a sex drive. No, of course, individuals have a sex drive. We each have, like, sexual desire that shows in different ways. And, of course, that happens in varying levels as well. The idea of a need is often very difficult when we talk about this, because, yeah, you aren't going to die if you don't get sex, but a marriage does not, is not healthy Mm -hmm. unless there is a sex life, unless there's something else going on. Like, if you have, like, a cancer diagnosis and you're just going through chemo and you just don't have sex for a long time, that's that's still yeah. the, we're not saying you have to like have sex during the postpartum period or anything like that but
2: and sometimes there are going to be other things that the marriage needs more than sex mm-hmm. you know as individuals our needs and what is most important from moment to moment will change and that can happen for a marriage too so yeah like rebecca said sometimes sex might go on a hiatus or sometimes there might be other things that the relationship needs to focus on but in general sex is for the sake of the relationship it's for the sake of you and him or you and her bonding and coming closer together and you both having sex drives and experiencing those through each other is part of that mm-hmm, that's a healthy not, part of a marriage yeah, but it's not an individual need that is separate from your spouse
1: yeah and that's why seeing it as a relational need can help us not superimpose our desires on our spouse and seeing it as a relational need helps us not to take our own desires or wants or even our own cravings and put them above our spouse's legitimate need Mm -hmm. um, or their emotional well-being or even their own pleasure right because if it's a relational need then obviously both of you need to have a sex drive both of you need to enjoy sex both of you need to have something to look forward to and so if something isn't going right It's broken because even if you're getting your sexual needs met, if your spouse's sexual needs aren't getting met, or sexual drive, or whatever you want to call it, like, Mm -hmm. they're half of the equation, it's clearly got a relational issue that you need to work on.
2: Yeah, and the way that your relationship meets its sexual needs might look very different from how someone else's relationship meets those sexual needs, but it's about learning what those needs are in the best way for you and your partner to resolve that need
1: we're really not trying to downplay sex drive (laughs) yeah we're not saying that if you feel like you're in a sex starved marriage or you're really desperate because you're just like wow yeah we don't have sex like ever and i really don't know what to do about this we're not saying that your needs and your your wants and your desires aren't valid what we are saying is that in general we need to understand that you don't have a sex life apart from your spouse and so it isn't your own personal sexual sexual needs, it's mm-hmm. your relational sexual needs. And if we look at that way, likely we'd create the kinds of sex lives that frankly prevent things like a complete lack of libido, a complete lack of orgasm, and a lot of these conflicts that happen around sex. Mm-hmm. And that's all that we have for you this week. Thank you so much for tuning in again with the to Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, if you're looking for more information on anything that we talked about or to engage in the comment section to discuss today's episode, you can head on over to the blog. The link to the post for today's episode will be in the podcast description notes. Thank you again for being a listener of this podcast. If you like this one, if you could please give it a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. It helps us so much, and we'd be so appreciative have a wonderful week and we'll see you all later